Hey, are you looking to evolve to a higher level of existence? To practically harness spirituality and personal growth in a crazy, busy, imperfect world? Then you've come to the right place. My name is Prash and this is Urban Spirituality, the show which fuses ancient wisdom with contemporary spiritual practices to deliver value-adding tools, traits, and insights to help you live your fullest potential. We always keep it real, featuring authentic, unfiltered dialogue with guests from diverse backgrounds to inspire, entertain, and enlighten all who listen. So get ready for your dose of urban spirituality. Be present and let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of A Walk on the Wise Side, presented to you by Urban Spirituality and Mantra Therapy. I'm your host, Prash K., smiling as I try to do most of the time. And I have with me a very, very dear friend and somebody who I regard as an authority figure in several particular areas. He is a psychologist by profession, a veteran psychologist with well over a decade of experience. I'm not going to give away too much, but he's had a lot of experience in psychology, business psychology, working with different clients, working on the personal and professional level with corporations. He comes from a really interesting background with other skills that he's brought to bear. He's an entrepreneur. He's a CEO of the Omega Academy, which is bringing leadership training to people in the UK and beyond. He's also a passionate musician and a man on a spiritual warpath of his own, as well as an avid yoga lover and gym buddy, a martial arts lover. I could say so much more. Please kindly welcome the one and only Deb Modi. Thank you, Prasha. I don't think I could have said better myself, but you are, you are the master of introducing your guests. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. So just to kind of add to that, um, one thing I'd love to do is, is get into this topic as soon as possible. But um, just to give you a bit of an insight into who I am, um, you know, born and bred in the UK, in Harrow, Northwest London, um, worked and, and studied in London my whole life, but um, had a good fortune to, to get married to a Kiwi. Uh, we've got a two-year-old uh, little boy. So um, not only have I um, developed my understanding of psychology theoretically and also in the corporate world, but also in terms of being a family man and being a dad, kind of the impact that can have on one's life, but also the, the self-reflection that creates um, within oneself. Right. So I'm really um, grateful to be here with, with all of you. You're giving up your evening to spend time to learn about this topic. Um, so based on the kind of the, the dialogue between me and Prash and also for you guys out there um, sending your, your questions, um, I'm very happy to provide as a, as a psychologist, I've been um, a chartered psychologist for over 15 years now, um, worked for the BBC, ITV, um, and a whole range of other large corporates uh, over the years. Um, my experience of working with thousands of leaders, um, hopefully I can bring that to bear in terms of how everyday practical life, um, given that anger is a topic that is uh, spoken ill of uh, often, but is uh, barely understood. Um, so here we go. Okay. Well, let me start straight off the bat. How would you define anger? And do you call it a, like, do you call it an emotion? Is a it a logical? Yeah. So anger can be defined in a number of ways. So one is anger is defined by physiological changes. Right. So there are facial expressions 
that whether you're born in a pygmy tribe in Africa or you're um, a, a Viking from uh, you know, Finland, um, when you have the emotion of anger, as a, as a species, we all show the same facial expressions. So it's one of the things that is really consistent from the west to the east, from north to the south, that anger has physiological um, foundations and it also has hormonal uh, changes that happen as well. It's a, it's a, if you believe in the evolutionary process, then it has evolutionary benefit because anger protects us from danger. Right. So uh, if you think about the flight or fight response, uh, um, that threat system that we have, which is part of the, the, the kind of the oldest part of the brain, which is the reptilian part of the brain, um, that's the part that fires when we feel we're under threat. So if you want to run, uh, your blood rushes to your, your legs and you get ready to, to make a dash for it. But if you're angry, then actually it gets you ready for fighting, and which means the blood rushes to your, your upper body and your arms, ready to uh, engage in, in battle. Um, so anger is something that has those physiolog physiological uh, markers, but also it can be expressed in the terms of the thoughts that we right. have. So with those feelings come particular thoughts. And, and those thoughts can be constructive as well as also negative. And that's kind of the crux of some of what I want to share today is actually how you can make anger your friend rather than it be your enemy. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's just to give you a starter. Okay, so let's, let's deconstruct things a little bit. From a psychologist standpoint, and you know, you've had the benefit of working in this field, uh, both of leadership and leadership development, as well as working as a business psychologist <clears throat> in the corporate sector. Let's take a scenario, uh, for example, at work. How does anger manifest? What is the sequence that anger follows? Is there a pattern that it starts with, for example, agitation that then grows into frustration and that manifests as anger, then delusion? Is that okay. something that we can learn? What's the life cycle? Yeah. You know, there are a lot of opinions out there uh, with, with your particular question, but I'll give you a very simplistic kind of my own understanding of, of anger. And there's two types of potentially anger. You've got the instinctive anger and you've got almost, you could say, premeditated anger. So the instinctive anger is, um, let's say you're driving down the road and someone cuts you up. But in the moment, you basically, you know, swear your head off. You stick some, you know, two fingers up at the driver and uh, that's that instinctive response to I've been offended or I've been attacked <clears throat> because in the modern day world to be cut off at the traffic lights or at a roundabout is the ancient equivalent of being attacked by yeah. a tribe, right? That's, that's like they've offended our people. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the equivalent. <clears throat> so that's the instinctive response of anger that can sometimes overwhelm an individual. But then your rational mind kicks in. So the reptilian part of the brain kicks in with anger. And then your cognitive side, your rational side of the mind kicks in and says, you know what, maybe you need to pull it down. Is it really worth kind of getting into an altercation? Is it really worth losing your license or getting into problems? So yeah. that's the instinctive response. Now, the premeditated anger is when you um, have been offended by someone at work. So say a manager has said something to you, they haven't respected your contribution, that you keep on dwelling and ruminating on what they've said and how it's hurt your feelings. And because of that rumination and premeditated um, kind of 
sense of the anger, it kind of builds up over time. So in the moment, maybe you didn't feel angry because you were kind of a little bit in the freeze, like a rabbit in the headlights. You kind of freeze. You don't know whether to go left or right or what to say. So right. you just stay silent. However, over time, maybe that evening or the next couple of days or the next couple of weeks, you start getting more and more angry the more you think about it and you get into a, a loop. So the thought then leads to further feeling and emotion that then starts to build and build and build. So that's kind of a different kind of anger. Now, there is one more kind of type of anger because you've got the positive and you've got the negative type of anger, right? So maybe I'll give you a chance to kind of reflect on what I've said, but we can go a little bit into that realm of kind of uh, what really is anger. How, how can we utilize it as a tool rather than something that is going to be uh, going to damage us? Are you saying, and let me just, let me backtrack for a second. Are you saying that anger can be a positive thing? Most of us, you know, most of us associate anger as a negative emotion. And here you are, right. and you're the psychologist, so, you know, we have to yield to your better viewpoint here. But is that what you're saying, that anger can be a positive thing? Let's, let's get that straight from the okay. ground. So there's, a, there's a couple of things here to think about, right? If you are angry, a key question to ask yourself is, why are you angry? Is that coming from the place of the ego, the false ego, which is someone has dented my pride. Um, someone has dented my kind of uh, my status in the world. And it's coming from a place of ego, essentially, right? It's kind of the superficial uh, part of who we are. The other type of anger comes from when someone actually challenges our values, our core systems of behavior. When someone challenges our purpose and our core values, and these are values that are commonly held principles in society that enable us to run and, and function, right. when someone contradicts those values, either because of reality or it's our perception that they have contradicted them, then that's a different kind of anger. Right. Right? Because that's coming from a place that is more to do with the inside and your character and you're reacting to that. So I'll give you an example, right? So um, Nelson Mandela was angry about what injustice injustice was going on in South Africa. Right. Yet at the same time, he was willing to forgive those individuals that had created that anger in the community. And he channeled that anger, some would say, towards actually forgiving his enemy to then create a better environment for everybody. So he kind of used the anger and the energy that created for higher purpose. Now, if some of you may not know, but before Nelson Mandela became famous, the very reason he went into prison was because he was um, convicted of being a terrorist. Um, he actually was involved in some terrorist activities against the regime, the, the South African regime. Um, so, you know, he was pretty renowned. If you see pictures of Nelson Mandela when he was younger, he was a big guy and he was renowned for actually being pretty, pretty tough guy in terms of boxing and being quite a physical presence. Of course, that's not the way we know him now. Right. But that was his anger, which was mischanneled and actually got him into, into more trouble because anger then fueled more anger in a negative way. But when he was able to channel that anger, he was able to do great things because then he could speak with emotion, he could speak with passion, and, and he was able to connect with people. So, you know, that's something to think about. All right. So let me, let me, let me get this. So, we, you know, we've embarked on this road, you know, we're tackling this. So I guess what you can say that the first myth about anger is that anger can be a good thing. 
if it's utilized yeah. in the right way, if it's channeled, if it's redirected. Let's talk about some of the other myths. What else is there that, you know, most people perhaps have got wrong or, or are not clear on about anger? Yeah. So th this is the second point, which is there are a number of health issues that can develop through repressed anger or you could say repressed rage. Because rage is almost like, kind of like the next level of anger. When you're really, really so angry, it kind of develops into rage. It's like uncontrollable. But repressed rage is when you're not able to express your um, anger in a positive way. And for whatever reason, you, you're you not expressing it in a negative way either. But you're just holding it inside. And it's like a pressure cooker. It builds up, it builds up, builds up. And either one day you just... And maybe the audience have had that experience where you tolerate, you tolerate, you tolerate, and then it gets to the point where you just explode. You explode at your partner or at your kids or uh, uh, someone at work, and you think, well, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. Right? Now, where, where did that emotion come from? I thought I was handling things pretty, pretty well, right? But it's that repression and not having an outlet. And given that we live in... Um, a type of society now where there's very little physical outlet. Because remember what I said about emotion, that it has physical um, connections back to the, the physiology and the body. So the emotions stay, they're not just expressions of the, the feelings in terms of the mind, but also in terms of the way your body manifests that emotion. Right, and the hormonal not, level as well, as you said. Exactly. So if you're not expressing those emotions and actually you're just um, you know, sitting at a desk for 10, 12 hours a day, Monday to Friday, then you're sitting in front of the TV on the weekend in the evenings, and you're just seeping with anger, but you don't have any physical outlet for the emotions or the hormones, then it starts to eat away with, within you. And some would say it eats away at your immune system. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a medical doctor, but I can imagine in kind of layperson terms, that's the way I would understand it, is the anger actually eats away at you. And that's where you get people who are very um, resentful. They hold on to a lot of grudges. Um, they tend to be very critical of other people. In yeah. fact, this is a projection of their inner anger. And here's another myth, right? Because that anger is actually anger towards oneself. Hmm. The people who you meet in your life who are really, really angry, and, and I'm sure you, you've all met people like that. And it could be someone who's, uh, you know, working in the shop down the road and is a really angry uh, customer service rep. Or it could be a colleague at work or it could be a friend. Yeah. There's someone who's just really angry, a family member. Uh, and you think, why are they so angry at everyone? Guess what? When they look in the mirror, the person that they are the most angry at is actually themselves. They're angry at themselves and they are criticizing themselves much worse with greater viciousness towards themselves than they do towards you. Can you imagine that? I, I totally, I, I, I can totally kind of relate to that because, you know, at times when I've been angry in my life, it's ended up burning me up more than it has the person or the object to which I'm angry. If it's the... And, and and invariably, the the cruel irony in this is that the object or the person that, for example, I might have been angry at in my past, they didn't even give a damn. They were just getting on with their lives. They just moved on, and you end up being the one who's. So what's that saying? There's 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 a really good saying. You know, revenge. They say revenge. I I, I would say anger is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You know. <laughs> I like that. that yeah. That is, that is. That is very true, man. I love you, that. You, it's it's like, you're drinking the poison. Anger, is like anger poison. or revenge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. 
<laughs> that's, that's wicked. I love that. I will, I will have to find a way of using that somehow in, in my workshops. Yeah. But I just noticed a really good point from Ricky, who's a, star, a fellow Star Wars fan, um, quoting the great Master Yoda. Um, and of course, Ricky probably knows this already, but um, Lucas um, based a lot of the Star Wars uh, mythology on Buddhist uh, philosophy. Um, and Eastern teachings. So it was his way of kind of making it more accessible for the modern world. So nice. the whole idea of the, the force and the dark side is all coming from not just Western psychology in terms of, you know, Freud and Jung, but it's actually based on Eastern ancient teachings from yoga and, and Buddhism. And I love what he says here about um, you know, anger. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering, which is very similar to some stuff from the, the Gita philosophy, which is a, a great yoga text, which also talks about the root of anger. And, and it says it slightly differently there, which it refers to um, lust actually being the root of anger. That, and, and lust is not used in, in terms of the, the sexual side of lust. This is more in terms of coveting. lust as in any Excessive kind of, coveting, yeah, any right? material desire. Yeah, any kind yeah. of material desire that you have is, is seen as, as lust in the Sanskrit uh, language. Right. Um, but when that lust is not satisfied, when those material desires are not satisfied, that leads to anger. Because it's that attachment to something or that aversion to something that then leads to the anger. So, for example, craving to keep what you have and, and being fearful of losing what you already have, right? Yeah. So you, you want to grasp? Like we, We're constantly living in this life, right? Me included. We're constantly trying to grasp things that we don't have. Right. And we're fearful of losing what we already have, which might be our, you know, youthful good looks, fresh. Um, or it might be, you know, uh, we haven't quite got the, the body that we, we wanted to have at this age or we're going to lose our yeah. um, security with Brexit. So it, we live in quite a fear-based society where we exaggerate the fears because we have not really that many things to be afraid of, right? So if you think yeah. about, you know, Brexit, I've got some colleagues and, and friends was so worried and petrified about Brexit. I'm thinking, you know what? Whether Brexit happens or not, you're still going to have a roof over your head. You're still going to have three meals a day. You're still going to have your savings in your bank account. And you're going to have a certain level of security. You're not at war. Um, so, you know what? It's very easy to exaggerate the fears because the media kind of pumps it up as well because it's a great news story. But it's very easy to let that then turn to hate. And hate is, is a kind of a connected concept to anger. Right. you know, if I'm angry at you, then ultimately I start to hate you. I hate the thing that I'm angry towards. And then again, if I bring back the mirror analogy, if I'm angry at myself, then you that are. starts to then build into, into hatred. And that self-loathing um, is really where if you look at most, uh, you could say all major military conflicts in the world are due to Generally men, I'm going to bring in the men piece here because that's also in, in, in the, the content for today, which is really thinking about the different ways in which men and women deal with anger. Right. And men in particular, because of repressed anger, they then project that anger onto somebody else. Because it's easier for me to be angry at you than it is for me to face up to myself. And it's easier for me to attack your country than look at my own country's issues, right? So that's why often war has been the... Um, the ultimate kind of default position for angry men. <laughs> Let's face it, right? Uh, the wars of the world have been led by men and men have died. So not only have they started the wars, but they've also sacrificed their lives. But it's been very much driven by this emotion of anger, um, which has then led to it. So anyway, 
slight, slight kind of diversion, but just to give you kind of like the bigger picture. Well, let's let, let's segue back to the men versus women manifestation of anger thing in a minute. What I want to hone in on for a moment, Dev, is uh, repressed rage. I want to, if you, I wonder if you could kind of share a little bit about the signs and the um, markers of how you can identify that repressed rage is happening in somebody, so you can kind of cut it, cut it before it explodes. Okay, so. There's, there's one fundamental difference between men and women, and this is kind of like a biological difference that's uh, based on science, that um, men express their anger in physical ways. They use their, their, their physical presence to, one, intimidate, but also to actually exert um, pain upon the object of their anger, right? So that's what we do. That's how men um, deal with their anger often. Um, not always, but that's that's one of the ways that society has shown us that this is how men uh, deal with anger. Right now, women, historically speaking, and and even still pretty much to today, um, women tend to not express their anger through physical violence. Right, they tend to express their anger through uh, verbal, uh, you could say verbal violence, but uh, verbal uh, attack. So they use their words. Um, and their body language in terms of their disapproving um, approach um, because men often look for the approval of women. So women will use their facial expressions, their tone of voice, their language to disapprove of men in the most subtle of ways and sometimes in very direct ways, but verbal, um, which for some men is more uh, difficult to cope with than sometimes a physical... An outburst, yeah. um, Yeah, exactly, because that's something that they know and understand. But men, generally speaking, of course, I'm talking about stereotypes here, but um, are, are less um, adept at the emotional side of, right. um, of such challenges. So this is where you know, men and women start to separate. And this is hence why you know, in relationships, this can also pose a challenge um, around how men and women in relationships, um, you know, I'm talking about the standard you know, heterosexual kind of uh, relationships here, how um, they deal with um, these challenges. Now, although I've said heterosexual, what I'm talking about here is when you've got two people coming together where one is clearly um, coming from masculine edgy, which is separate from their actual gender, and another partner is coming from the feminine energy, right? So when you have those opposite polarities of masculine energy, feminine energy, then they um, are in connection. Now, the reason why I say that's different from biological gender is that you can have a man who has predominantly feminine energy for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's nature, maybe it's nurture, maybe it's combination. Has a lot of feminine energy. Now, the woman that he's with has masculine energy. Right. Therefore, they attract each other, and it kind of works. Right. It works because they both yeah. complement each other. So, you, despite their their gender not matching up quite with the, the energies that they have, that's fine because we all have masculine and feminine energy. Yeah. It's just a, a question of ratio, right? There's no one on this planet who doesn't have a little bit of the other type of energy. No matter what they say, it is it's just not possible, right? End of the day, we both came, we all came from a man and a woman. So we have the genetics and, and the capacity to experience feminine and masculine energy. Now, when that ratio is out of sync, right. this is where you have issues. And this is the current issue in today's society. Because of um, 
the whole kind of situation with uh, there's ambiguity at the moment, a lot of ambiguity around gender male, ambiguity. Or, You're talking about gender, gender ambiguity. ambiguity, masculine, feminine energy. So you've got a case where, you know, um, sometimes women in the corporate world are trying to become more like men because that's the only way they can move up. Um, sometimes, you know, men are now um, quite happy to be, you know, stay at home dads because they want to look after the kids and the woman's like the, the main breadwinner. So these are all right. different things that are happening in society which requires adjustment, which requires adapting. Um, right. It means in relationships, you've got to be aware of these changes because it affects the polarity in the relationship. It's not to say it's wrong or right. It's a case of, do you understand the polarity in the relationship that enables things to work? And if something changes in that, then are you able to readdress that balance? Right. That no, makes sense. So we've talked about, and thanks for talking about the signs of repressed rage. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the coping mechanisms and how those coping mechanisms can be applied and how they might be different, the coping mechanisms or the management mechanisms that a, a woman might apply compared to a man to deal with that anger as it manifests okay. in those different ways. So let me give you a, an example from um, kind of my, my personal life, but also um, kind of ancient times. So some of you may know that Prash and myself, we're really um, big believers in martial arts and the power of yoga. And um, actually, in some of our research, and particularly my research around ancient martial arts, um, has been that not only did, when someone trained in the military arts, and then they did martial arts in India or Japan or China, wherever it was, not only did they learn the, the physical, the hard form of how to defend yourself and attack, they had to also, in parallel, learn the arts of healing, of massage, of medicine, um, because the idea was that if you are to be trained to take a life, you should also be trained to save a life. Right, yeah. Destruction and re recovery or revivalism yeah. always was a dual-sided coin in the original martial arts systems. Exactly, exactly. And also, with some of the martial arts, they actually intertwined the dance into the martial arts. So if you look at some of the early forms of Kung Fu or you look at you know, even modern forms of martial arts like Quapera and others, it actually looks like a dance. And sometimes it is a dance right. because that was trying to combine the feminine and the masculine energy. And what you've got today in today's world, like if I, if I just carry on with a martial arts theme and you guys have probably heard of mixed martial arts, what happens is when you divorce the artistic side or you could say the feminine side of the art from the masculine side, and MMA is a very masculine, macho, physically right. dominating art, which is, is aggressive and uh, sometimes quite disrespectful of their opponents. Um, those particular individuals in MMA are, are suffering a lot of the time, especially when they finish MMA, with a lot of psychological problems. Um, and, and that's not just MMA. You look at um, American football. You look at uh, rugby. You look at any of the, the real physical dominant sports that we have when you divorce them from the softer side and i say softer not in a negative way but like the the feminine yeah. um side of life then um it's very difficult to manage that that anger so this is coming back to your point which is to manage anger you've got to be balanced in the hobbies and the activities that you choose to do because if and you've got to understand your nature right so if you're someone who's quite a masculine individual in terms of your energy and you have some feminine energy, then you've got to think about what are the hobbies and activities that you have 
that can that bring... complement that. Yeah. Right. So, for example, music, right? So if singing and expressing yourself through artistry like music is important to you, but at the same time, you're also quite a physical individual, you might want to then engage in doing some martial arts as well as music rather than sacrificing one over the other. Right. Because you start to feel a certain lack um, in your, in your uh, consciousness. Now, it's, this is not a clear-cut you know, science, right? Uh, it's not so, a clear-cut science, but it's funny no. you say, I looked at a study, um, I forget which university, Syracuse in New York, uh, it was a East Coast university that yeah. actually did this study. Uh, they they ran a study to see uh, how what effects there was on anger management and anger diminution amongst women over thirty who decided to take up a physical hobby like training, gym, martial arts, wow, dancing, right. zumba, right. whatever, and they found a noticeable reduction in their tendencies to get angry and their ability to recover from anger, and they become a lot calmer with adding uh, a perceived to be a physical activity. So I think there is something to this, you know, more than we say, you know, wow. when, when, whether it's a man or a woman, when they endeavor to take and embrace an aspect of, um, of a hobby or a, a lifestyle that they perhaps weren't doing as much of before that's complementary to their nature, as you've just described, I think there is truth here and the university seems to back it up. Wow, that, that's great, Prash. It's, it's good to hear some of the, the science behind that. Um, so, you know, I think, I think part of this is around self-awareness. I think the key here is how self-aware are you of, right. of who you are and what your needs are. And the more, more disembodied we are, I don't know if, if that makes complete sense to people who are listening in. When I say disembodied, is that we live a lot in our heads. Think about it, most of our lives we're spending um, in here either engaging with um, our imagination or um, looking at a screen, whether it's a, it's a phone or whether it's a laptop or a TV, right? So we're, we're pretty much disembodied in, in a sense that we're not really that aware of our emotions until there's an explosion or there, there's an expression. Um, so our underlying mood is sometimes a little bit hidden from us um, and we're not that aware of how to resolve those issues. So some of the work that... Um, you know, I'll be doing with Prash on the Men Powerment um, Academy uh, workshop we've got in a couple of weeks is actually how to manage something that I call um, from the world of psychology, the angry self. So if you try and deny your, your angry side, you're going to fail. And if you try and uh, embrace it, you're going to fail too. <clears throat> the, the key is to understand your angry self. It's a part of who you are. Right. But understand what is driving that angry self. And can you bring a higher lens to that angry self, which we call the courageous self, the courageous and compassionate self? Because really, it's, it's all about who's in charge. When you have that um, bust up at work, who's really in charge? When you get caught up on, on the, the motorway and you get angry, who's really in charge? Well, who stops you from, from really flying off the wheel and going into it? Right. So through that technique of um, understanding yourselves, and I say rather than self, understanding yourselves. Yourselves. Because we have multiple selves. It's not just <clears throat> one self. We have one consciousness, which is the observer within our body. Some would say the soul. Some would say you know, the spirit. But in science, they call it consciousness. <clears throat> we have one consciousness, 
but that manifests in different selves. So you've got right. the angry self, you might have an anxious self, you might have a, um, you know, you could say a, a fearful self, um, but you also have a compassionate self. So right. who's really in charge? And of course, psychology has proven over the last decade that the compassionate self is the one who can really unlock your potential. Wow, that's powerful. Um, uh, let me let me let me take from that um, into that subject. If we're talking about the compassionate self, let's talk about how we can channel that anger for a higher purpose. Because right. I, I imagine it's the compassionate yeah. self that is the gateway to sublimation, to transmutation, uh, to convert that anger into something more nobler. Okay. So the first question to ask yourself is: What is the message? that this anger is trying to teach me. So first of all is to observe the anger when it's going through your body. So rather than react to the anger, <clears throat> is to pause, take some deep breaths, and actually ask yourself the question, which is ask your angry self, what is your purpose? What is the message you're trying to give me? Right. So understand your anger by delving into the mysteries of what it's really about, right? Now, if that anger is because your values have been broken and your values are really important to who you are or someone's breaking, breaking values in society that are really important to you, that anger can be used to really make a, a difference in society, to make a real uh, social impact. So I'll give you an example. Like, um, as you know, um, I'm a vegan, Prash, so are you. Um, and, and the vegan Thanks movement, and, and I think, you know, no one can be... Uh, no one can be ignorant of the vegan movement in the last five years. That vegan movement is not just driven by compassion. There's also a sense of anger from you know, the old age vegans who've been around for a while, which is, why is the world not listening? <clears throat> when we see something that is happening that is so damaging to the world and it contradicts our values, why is the world not listening? And that anger then turns into, well, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it. And what am I going to do? I'm going to educate. I'm going to entertain. I'm going to inform. I'm going to inspire. I'm going to really sure. make a difference in the world, either through my own little ways of talking to people and sharing or sharing documentaries or making documentaries, right? And, and, and this is why I say social change. When you look at any kind of social change, um, there's an element of anger that is also mixed in with the, with the compassion and with the, the kindness, uh, you know, Martin Luther King's um, activism was was strong. It was courageous. There was a sense of anger um, as well, but that anger was used in a very constructive way, which is I will not bow my head to you because of the color of my skin. I'll bow it because I'm a, you know, I'm a humble person and I, and I respect the divinity within you, however you want to share it, you know. Um, but it's not yeah. because of that reason, you know. So that... Is, is kind of where the anger has really shown us in history where it's used in the right way. <clears throat> I know, um, I guess from my own studies of uh, ancient literature, we, we see stories of noble kings and rulers of countries having a controlled anger at the injustices being undertaken to people around them, uh, people who are leaders in society, people who are revolutionaries, uh, some controversial figure, but Che Guevara, 
Che Guevara from Latin America being a great example, somebody who could see injustice being done to people around him. And that made him so angry. And that anger was transformed into a revolution. It was the seed of the revolution of a whole country. So I guess that's, that shows in ancient literature show time and time again, that anger can be used as a vehicle for transformation as long as, and I'm guessing, <clears throat> harking back to your previous point, as long as that anger is kept in check, that is to say, as long as our anger is not, is not a servant of our ego. When the ego takes over, that anger that is projected is unhealthy, invariably, because you're not in control of your emotions and you say and do things that you later regret. Whereas when your ego is kept in check and your anger is projected as something that is under your control, under your ability to grasp and direct that anger in a positive way, suddenly that anger can be used for a good cause. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a wonderful way of explaining it. Yeah. I really uh, acknowledge that and agree with everything you've just said there, Prash. Yeah. Great, great kind of insights into, into anger and actually, um, this is a question for the people who are listening in because I know we're coming to a close now in terms of the, the timings. Um, think about the things that really make you angry, right? I remember doing a, a comedy workshop a couple of years ago where um, they were teaching us about how to create jokes. And you know the one thing he said about the, the one trick that comedians use to create jokes is they think about the things in the world that make them really angry Right. And they use that as inspiration for their jokes. And if you think about it, a lot of the comedy out there is based on stuff that just really pees off comedians and they turn it into a, into a joke to, to give it a bit of a lighthearted right. um, element to it. So think about the things that make you really, really angry. If, if there is a bright side to that anger, that injustice, then find that bright side. And think about if there isn't a bright side, hmm. what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Because are you going to sit there and just like point the finger at everybody else and say, well, you know, this is just the way the world is. And either become like they say in psychology, learn helplessness, which is like, I'm helpless. I can't do anything. You know, that's just the way the world is. Or you spend your whole time criticizing, blaming, putting other people down. Or are you going to say, you know, right. what am I going to do? I'm one person, but is there anything within my power that I can do to really make a difference? And it's right. when an individual does that, and this is really the final kind of piece um, I wanted to kind of leave the, the audience with is if you can um, really acknowledge that one thing you can do to make a difference, that's where true change happens. Whether it's true change from yourself or whether it's for your family or for your community. Um, and on the Men Empowerment um, Workshop we've got coming up, um, uh, you know, shamelessly plugging it right now, um, if you're a woman, you're listening in, do you know men who actually would be interested to really do with this kind of dialogue? Also right. some real practical tools and techniques to, to express themselves in a way that is, is more constructive and positive Absolutely. and brings their best self to the, to the surface. Then on 9th of um, December, myself and Prash are going to be running a workshop, a masterclass um, under the banner of the Men Empowerment Academy. So if you're a woman, if you know any men, be interested then please please uh let them know about it and of course if you're a man then uh then please sign up yourself or let your mates know about it who may well uh benefit from this step forward yeah absolutely let me just add to what they're saying the day is not by the way 
to be very clear, the day is not just about anger. The day is covering a spectrum of emotions and stereotypes and baggage that men in the 21st century have been burdened with, dare I say, inherited with. And what we'll look, be looking to do is deconstruct those layers throughout the day using a series of strategic tools and techniques to uncover your true purpose, align that purpose with values, and then find ways to express your true qualities and your abilities in a way that's authentic, that's real, that's free of ego, and that's directed towards the highest good for yourself and for the people around you. And that really, and Deb, you know, I'm sure you agree, that is ultimately what we as men and women deserve and ought to be. That is operating against our highest values, living into those values and expressing ourselves and doing things and helping other people in that way. And that's what we'll be doing with men, especially God knows men need it so much. And, you know, those of you who are listening, who are brave enough to acknowledge as men and put aside their egos and raise your hand and say, yes, I need a hand. I'm not perfect and I need help. I want to be in the company of enlightened men, those who are looking to seek enlightenment, those who are looking to better themselves and be brave and walk through that dark side overcome the repressed rage and the other emotions, then this is the time to step up. And I think it's a beautiful opportunity for everyone listening to share this with people. And I can't recommend it enough. We know how much over the past 20 years each of corporate work we can bring to the table uh, with this and we will bring to the table. So there's a lot there. Folks, if there's any questions, please throw them in here. We'll look at the comments later on. We'll also include the links for the event on the 9th of December here. And folks, it's been great to have you. I want to take the opportunity first and foremost to thank Dev. Dev, thanks for being with us, sticking around and sharing your abundant insights and a glimpse on this subject. Uh, We hope that you'll come back and share insights on another subject because there are many to go. Thank you. Thank you very much, Prash. Thank you, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Excellent. We'll do that, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope the wisdom has been powerful. As always, like and share the page, the profile, the Insta, mantra underscore therapy. Follow us on facebook.com forward slash mantratherapy.co.uk. Wait and check out our events. Look out for our upcoming interviews with other special guests from different areas across the globe, bringing wisdom, enlightenment, and reality to everybody who we meet and listens to this show. We look forward to seeing you soon. My name is Prash, Mantra Therapy, Urban Spirituality. Thank you so much for being with us. Peace out. Namaste. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And as with all our episodes, found something to inform, inspire, and empower you in your spiritual and personal journeys in life. As always, if you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a little love through your ratings and comments. Share it with those who you care about. And take your personal and spiritual evolution to the next level by joining us on one of our events, workshops, or retreats. Find out more about us at mantratherapy.co.uk. I'm your host, Prash K. This is Urban Spirituality, and we will catch you on the next episode.